I upgraded my phone, my my iPhone 5, and that was a little a little buggy, but my iPhone 6 has been fairly stable. It's hard to judge because I'm usually not like installing 10 to 20 apps a day and reconfiguring them. So I was just reading Facebook this morning and I pressed the home button and nothing happened for like 20 seconds. <laughs> 20 seconds. It was locked up on Facebook. Yeah, it was judging your behavior probably. <laughs> Have you gotten more used to the size? I'm fine with the size. I'm really, really upset about nothing working. I did have the handoff stuff pretend to work. Like I got a phone call last night and my iPad started ringing. And I'm like, this is awesome. So I I said, yeah, yeah, pick up. And it just sat there in connecting for like minutes. And I I missed the call because I tried to pick up on my iPad. I feel like the iPhone 6 is too big. No such thing. What? There's no such thing as a too big... Well, the Note is too big. I think the iPhone 6 is great. That Maybe you have larger hands than me, but like I can't comfortably reach the entire screen. Like mm. I don't know. I don't. People say that, and I have small hands, and I think you all might just be bad at holding things. Well, I think part of the problem. So you, you, you. Have but I have Android, longer fingers. But you have Android too, and the back buttons at the bottom. Yeah, because that's a sensical design. Why would you only have one button? <laughs> That's so yeah, dumb. in iOS, the back button's usually the top like left-hand corner, which is the hardest corner to reach. Oh yeah, that's dumb. Or sometimes you can Too swipe. Too bad your hardware locks you into that system. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could argue that it's more flexible because it doesn't really force an interface decision on every app. Yeah, I mean, it really sucks that you know places expect you to hit backspace to go backwards or tab to go forward. I mean, that doesn't make sense to anybody. <laughs> I'm just saying not every app has a has a concept of back. The squirrel is tearing up some leaves right now. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> Way to be distracted. I'm not saying people shouldn't have access to large phones. I just don't think they should replace the base model with something significantly larger and introduced a much larger than that model. I just wonder what, because you know that that means that there was some kind of market research where they found, this is my suspicion, that they found that people were leaving for Android partially because of device choice and being able to get bigger devices. Well, that's, that's definitely possible. I think the 6 Plus would have also offered that. And I'm not usually a conspiracy theorist, but I wonder if they see the future as people holding, like like carrying larger devices in their pocket or bag or something, like an iPhone 6 or iPhone 6 Plus, and then having like the Apple Watch as their primary, I'm going to look at my phone really quick device. So maybe uh, they're trying to like... So making the phone bigger to facilitate the entry of smaller ones? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't like pulling my phone in my pocket and holding it and using it as a chore. I need something in my wrist to make that easier. I think we're just not the target market anymore. I think, I think they're seeing people using their phones as their primary computer. And it's definitely not any of our primary computers. And if it's your primary machine, you'll obviously want more real estate, right? I'll trade you, Justin. For what? 5S. Mm, Same size. I I was looking on the Apple Store for an iPhone 5S that had at least 64 gigs of memory, but they don't sell those anymore. And I really don't want one used. And when, like, Apple Pay comes out, I can't use that with the 5S. There was a talk... Strange Loop by uh, Joe Armstrong last week. I forget the title of it. Hopefully, I'm The Mess We're In? Yeah, The Mess We're In. <laughs> he was essentially talking about how... It was like, really good. It, it, and he also made lots of jo- jokes about Grunt, and it was really funny. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. I saw, I saw the first like 10 minutes of it. I didn't watch the entire thing, but it looked really good. Um, 
And but one of the things he said was, you know, a computer, you know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, uh, could boot in sixty seconds. And these are how much faster computers are now. And it was like between a thousand and ten thousand times faster. So he was like, so obviously your computer should boot in sixty milliseconds. <laughs> and they don't. Spoiler. Spoiler. What was the? Was there anything? I'm assuming there was more to that talk in the first ten minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. That actually probably encapsulates some of it, but just that we, I think his his ending thesis is that we complicated things so much in the effort to make them simpler that we've, I, that we've forgotten that we can use things like math to make things more efficient and have fewer things. Mm. What do you mean by fewer things? So that's, I guess, when he was doing all the jokes about grunt, it was, you know, he was talking about doing web programming and then he had to use his grunt and then grunt file and do his grunt config and that he was completely baffled by that. And then when he, the the fact that you can't program without the internet, that we've made things so complicated that you can't like do things by yourself. You have to be able to have access to Stack Overflow to figure out what the hell went wrong. He also had an interesting slide about... Uh number of states your computer can be in based on how much memory it has and that like it's almost impossible to make two systems behave the same way because they have different state over time and also related to a future topic that we were maybe going to discuss in the next few weeks about um typed languages uh he was talking about how you can use a type system to to prove uh something to be correct but only on a very small scale you can't use like, in theory, you could do it on a larger scale, but nobody actually does in the type of systems that we work on day to day. Is so, it nobody does or nobody can't? Or you can't? I just think that hmm, maybe if you worked on a service-oriented architecture, you could assert that all of your components are correct, and like that would be enough, that, that would be small enough to, to ensure that. But the system as a whole, it would be much harder to um, assert that it's correct. Like at some point, applications just just grow large enough that you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely need somebody that's familiar with type theory to to come on the show. Pam, mm-hmm. what what other good talks did you see? So, or, or other experiences at Strange Loop? Well, experiences at Strange Loop. The the pre party at Strange Loop is at City Museum, which is kind of like this industrial playground. It's kind of amazing. So it feels like the entire thing should be like condemned, but somehow you're allowed to climb around it and there are slides. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What was that called? City Museum. City Museum. I saw there was an airplane just like mid in the there air. Were, there were actually multiple, yes. It was pretty neat. So that was really fun. And then the programming stuff. So I think one of my favorite ones was there was a Linux kernel hacker one and about how the speaker talked about how she got into hacking the Linux kernel and that it's a really, really in- like intimidating thing, but that you can just kind of start messing with it and start figuring out how it works. And I just really loved her approach. And of course, there were a few talks that I didn't go to that now I'm uh, obligated to watch the video because I heard so much about them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Linux uh, kernel hacking one, what was her first uh, change or commit? Uh, what was her first one? So she, so the first thing she talked about was strace, so that you can run strace to watch a program and figure out what system calls it's making. Because it's basically what 
is happening is that like system calls are kind of like the API for the operating system. So you can see what exposed methods an application is calling to start figuring out what system calls are out there and therefore what you could use if you wanted to write, say, your own Linux module. Hmm. And you can also use it to kind of reverse engineer what an application's doing without having to look at the application's code. Because you can see if it's opening a file, modifying something, doing this and that. Any other talks? I mean, there are plenty. I also like the fractals one. That's one that I'll have to probably rewatch to really understand. But basically the thesis, as I understood it, was fractals are really cool and they're really interesting algorithms that we should use more often because math. <laughs> what is like the one thing that you're, you've are you been thinking about since the conference? Like, have, Has it put a bug in you to learn something new? Or Yeah, I think my biggest dilemma is I got the joy of closure. <sighs> so. You got the joy of it? The book. The book, the joy oh. which is supposed to be really good. I thought you like so, actually had the joy, like it was contagious. Within me, no, you. I th- I think that's what you get when you read the book. Oh, okay. I think that's their idea. So I got that book, and so I'm all all right. Maybe I'm gonna read this, but then I got that actually at the preconf, and then I went to Strange Loop, and I think it actually would be to my my benefit more to learn a more deeply learn a, a statically typed language because I haven't done that stuff since C++ and Java. And of course, I told you guys about the the slide where if the only type systems I knew were C++ and Java, I'd be a Ruby programmer too. <laughs> so <laughs> right now, those are the only type systems I know. And so I'm going to learn Scala. So I, I'm, there's the Coursera course mm, for Scala just started. Haskell? Isn't Haskell like the type system? I mean, so Haskell's cool. But there's a Coursera course for Scala right now, and people would pay me to do Scala. But people would be amazed if you knew Haskell. They'd be like, "They won't pay me to do it, though." <laughs> you already and have a job. Things based on I know, <laughs> I know, like one and a half people who get paid to do Haskell. I don't know anybody paid to do Haskell. But I know plenty of people who can do Scala because you can always just feel like doing Scala in any Java project. So, so Scala feels like. JavaScript you could be the Scala to me, person like, on a Java project. Why does it feel like JavaScript? Because uh, there's like 20 ways to do something, and most people do it the terrible way. But if you did it using only the good parts, you could write a really nice application, or, or you could you could you could uh, you could do a good job. I don't know how to phrase it. It gives you too much freedom. It gives you too much freedom, and the community seems pretty. F- fragmented on how to do something or how to structure an application. You can just go straight to Scala Z and be one of those people. <laughs> That's the, uh, isn't that the Haskell thing for it? I'm not sure if it's the Haskell thing, but I know that it's a very dividing segment. It's an extension mm. to Scala for functional programming. Well, Ruby gives you so many ways to do so many horrible things. It's just that I think we've come around to a consensus on the correct patterns and the correct conventions. Scala's- but not everyone, otherwise you all wouldn't have jobs. Since your job is to fix bad Ruby code. <laughs> uh, not anymore. I think it's just to write new Ruby code now. I used to be fixing bad Ruby code. Yeah. In a few months, Pam's going to be really good at Scala, and then she can help me with this bug I have. <laughs> and your URL shortener. Yeah. Is your bug in Scala? Yes. So I heard we had some quit feedback. Someone did give me some quit feedback. Did anyone give you guys quit feedback? So no. What was, what was the quit feedback? All right. So hopefully I'm not butchering this and I remember it correctly. It was 
we covered the kind of the young person perspective on quitting, but it's much more difficult with when you have responsibilities like a family and a house and other big commitments. And we didn't really cover that part of quitting. Like, so like- I mean, but that's that just means we didn't mention fuck you money. That's <laughs> like you should get that money or yeah, you have to have a, enough money in the bank if you have like paranoia about being able to get money. You have to have enough money in the bank so that if you walked in and said fuck you to your boss, that you would be fine. <laughs> That's fuck you money. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, in fairness, we I were, highly we recommend were, always having fuck you money. That's true. But we were a little cavalier. None of us, you know, Justin's the first one of us to have a dependent and that's only a few <laughs> weeks old right so you have cory yes i have a cat yeah we have responsibilities <laughs> i have a husband in school that's that's very expensive yeah yeah so at least the school part's paid for but i do yeah, like pay our expenses so i do provide for two people yeah that is a good point though like I mean, you know, it's one of those things that all this stuff, it always just arises from fear. I was actually talking to someone about the quitting episode last week and, or, you know, it wasn't the quitting episode. He was talking about how he, he's always tempted to bugger off and be a programming artist, but he's, he says, well, but I have so many responsibilities, you know, I can't just go live on a anti-capitalist commune and make art. And I, I said, well, you can. And he's like, but no, I have so many responsibilities. And I was like, that doesn't change that you can. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's, it's still a choice. No one took away your choice. You always have the power. And if you make the decision not to, that is on you and no one else. Personal responsibility. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think s- Pam said in the quit episode too, like if, at least in our industry right now, and our industry is probably a little special for, for this time period. Very special. That you, you can't really be unemployed for very long in technology unless you've like really burned a lot of bridges, I guess. But like if if you know how to like make a some website. people also some people also don't know how to to drum up freelance work. I actually thought about that. But some people when they, I I heard about people who you know were who are developers who are unemployed for a year and you use the word unemployment, which I'm I'm baffled by because I feel like you can always pick up a contract. Yeah, I've never like I know I work for a consulting company right now, um, but I have never really done any direct freelance work except for past employers. Oh, um, no, I've, told, I've done freelance work, and it's to me, it's very easy to drum it up. So you just like ask around and say, hey, I'm looking, and if you have any work sent my way? Yeah, it is, it is really that easy. And especially, you know, I think it's also, if you've ever been a member of a co-working space, you know that people are always looking for subcontractors. Mm. So all you have to do if you end up in that situation is go to ye olde co-working space and be willing to subcontract. Being a member of a co-working space is like triple insurance that you'll never be unemployed. I have not even yeah. started to look for work since joining Indie Hall. All my work has just come to me. Mm-hmm. That's because you're badass, Len. You're badass <laughs> That's your awesome. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the quit episode does weird me out a little bit. Why, why is the quit episode you weird you out? Yes. Even though I, I'm not afraid to quit jobs, it just seems like... I guess I was looking at it from a different perspective. It was just like, oh, someone who's not in programming could listen to this and they would judge us thinking like... This person who's listening to this podcast about programming. (laughs) Whatever. We can be brats. It's our podcast. (laughs) They can go be chumps elsewhere. Yeah, it can can be like... Not that people who don't program are chumps. I just really wanted to use the word chumps. It can be like kind of awkward to 
speak with friends that are in different industries. Like I know, I know teachers, I know people in law enforcement, I know people in a bunch of different industries and it's very, very different world as far as like their careers. And I assume that I, I guess they could be similar and, and in the way of like as programmers to get our name out there, we, we give talks, we submit to conferences, we, publish i guess in quotes that's true in other industries for sure yeah so i I guess i guess they could do those same things but it seems like uh more not the norm in those industries yeah i I don't know uh, i I, 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 I imagine like a law enforcement friend like giving a talk at some i don't know whatever law enforcement people give talks at like a police conference uh about those exist. Some new thing. I guess they do, but like they our, do our... because uh, there's a local company that goes to them because they make software for them. Ah. Another thing, another feedback that we got was uh, like, what about if you're building something at this company? So like, if you have stock options and not a startup, but like, <laughs> but stock options actually worth money. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you were going along the vein of making fun of startup stock options. No, just regular stocks, I guess. Regular stocks in the company. Oh, okay. So like 401ks and stuff like that and healthcare and adult stuff. Well, then I hope you made the right choice that you like actually believe in the company and want mm-hmm. the product to exist. And you'll have to tough it out. Ask me again in 30 years. <laughs> All right. So another thing. I'll let so you know a you know, good answer. When Pam was talking about personal responsibility, there's a movie called, I think it's Under 40 or something 40 with Paul Rudd. It's like the second movie to Knocked Up. And Paul Rudd is going broke and he owns a record label and he likes really old artists. And one of the artists, he's he's complaining to the artist that he's going broke and like he can't make moves or anything. And the artist replies, oh, I keep my nuts small, even though I'm not making the same amount of money that I used to. Like, I'm still able to do the things I want because I, I don't have, I don't hang my hat where I can't reach. That's pretty much it. Hmm. And Randy Schmidt used that in one of his presentations one time. I thought it was funny. So keep your nuts small and <laughs> you'll be able to quit easier. Is that talking about being a squirrel? Yeah. So being like the squirrel? Mm-hmm. That was just eating the leaves on my tree outside. <laughs> I'm impressed you have a tree outside, living in a in the city third floor apartment in the city. Yes. How about the joy of closure? I wish Pam was sticking with it. I mean, I'm not against sticking with it. It's just that turns out closure is another dynamic language, and so it would be I, neat to learn something else. I couldn't agree more. Like learning closure coming from Ruby, it felt like more of the same. And then the first time I ran into a bug that I wrote, I was kind of disappointed in the way that it felt just like writing Ruby. And I'm sure it feels similar to JavaScript too. Whereas like working with a type language, there's some, there, there is some like joy of types. I think I, I, think I wrote in the, uh, the group me when we were talking about this last week, is that like if you have a compiler checked typed language then there's like a whole slew of tests you don't have to write because like if your program compiles then then everything matches up uh, i'm skeptical about that feels warm and fuzzy len no an episode on types is in our backlog to do uh an episode on but we kind of want to get somebody different on i think we we all write javascript and ruby all day so our worldview is a little constrained well, I mean, Len, you are writing. No, I guess never mind. You ditched that for Remotion. 
It, right. it would probably behoove all of us to work with the typed language, even in our free time before that episode. Did you see that I mean, Facebook released a uh, type checker for JavaScript? What? What's that called? Or uh, Hold on. I think they you... will release a type checker for JavaScript. <laughs> I think it was demoed at their like meeting or something. And then someone can resist writing an article about it. Saying, this is coming soon. I'll find a link. Wouldn't that just be like Dart? Isn't Dart yeah, optimally typed? Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. But, I mean, I, I found Dart interesting. But then I feel like the more time goes on, the more people will just look at it like a joke. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to, to catch on in any way that makes it worth investing in. So Pam's going to do Scala. Mm-hmm. Justin, are you going to do Haskell? Um, I'm actually going to play with Dart, I think, for the next few weeks. Okay. Well, but that's, that's, none of these are still sufficient, right? Like, we're not building real-world applications that we need to maintain. There's always, like... I built a real-world Pomodoro <laughs> Tmux thing. Um, no, I, I agree. We do need somebody that has production experience. I mean, I, I did write C-sharp for, like, six years. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. <laughs> I do know a Rubius that writes C-sharp now. Maybe he has a unique perspective. Wow. I've, I've so I think, but, I think we're all in agreement that like the type systems that exist in C sharp and Java are not the ones we want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know, Len. What do you think? Maybe I'm, I'm just always skeptical when I hear arguments about types giving you like another level of safety, and I'm saying that I guess the the, the drum that I always beat as a TDD advocate where. I never write any production code unless it makes a red test turn green. Uh, I feel like I'm building my own type checker slash uh, compiler slash much, much more. Even when I was doing TDD uh, in C Sharp, I never felt that the compiler was doing much of anything interesting. Maybe I would I would get an error like before I bother to run the tests, but that only saved me like you know a second or two. One thing I will say, and I guess it kind of dives into our discussion of today, is uh, it does give IDEs a chance to be a lot more powerful. It is really nice to be able to uh, hit uh, the period and see all of the methods the object has because the IDE is able to figure that out and can tell you what parameters it takes. You don't have to uh, go looking for the API. Hmm. Yeah, I think it has a lot more benefits than that. That is something I missed. Save it for the episode. No, well, this, this is the episode. Uh, we're talking about uh, editors. So there's in oh. our backlog, yeah, in the backlog on GitHub, which you can submit topic suggestions on our GitHub issues tracker, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Uh, but two different people have suggested that we talk about editors. So how are we going to do this with just three Vim users and one Sublime Text, sometimes Vim user? <laughs> Thanks. Hey, I toyed with Emacs. <laughs> well, then you have as much experience with Emacs as I have with type languages. True that. So actually, I don't know if I told you all in chat, but I went to a two-hour Vim workshop while Ooh. I was at Strange Loop. How was that? It was pretty much amazing. <laughs> it was like getting two hours of sitting next to someone doing Vim tricks, but also that he explained some of the, you know, I would say kind of boring, like, this is why this is built this way that I otherwise wouldn't have bothered to learn, which then helps me conceptualize it more, more better. Can you enlighten us? Such that it's a modal editor, so that so understanding that there are these set modes and this is the explicit purpose of them. So you have normal mode when you haven't done anything. You have command mode as soon as you hit colon, which is the command mode is from the 
derivative of the X type editor, I think is what he said. And then there's visual mode, of course, which is what everyone gets baffled by. And then that's for block selecting and doing cool things. And then, of course, insert mode. So you've been back at work for a day now. Did you use them at work yesterday? I'm not sure I wrote code yesterday. (laughs) Did he say why people get confused by visual mode? I mean, that's more of my anecdote that I I get frustrated trying to select exactly the text I want and then doing the right operation on it. But basically, it's select uh, your rectangular block and then type, do your commands. So you can either enter a mode or type a command. So like you can replace everything or do something like that. And then as soon as you hit escape, it should populate. That was, I think, the part that I always got stuck on was I didn't know how to make it populate. Mm. Well, it, it does just throw a lot of people off. Like there's no other editor that you can't just start typing. People tend to think that's really weird. But, you know, in programming, we're not typing most of the time. We're rearranging and changing text more than we're adding new text. Well, and also I one of the things I liked that you said was that if you are using the J and K or the arrow keys, you're essentially doing it wrong because that's not the most efficient way to navigate your text. So I've heard that. And they don't I give you it. a better way. Well, you you just have to use like searching and jumping like to the middle of a file or yeah, the fastest way is with searching. Or jumping to yeah. the end of a statement. Yeah. Or jumping but between for reading braces. Code, I found that really difficult. Maybe I should have stuck with it for a long time, longer time, but I'm just like, I'm just going back to the old way. I use J and K. I I kind of don't agree with that. I know there's always a better way to get to where you're going with less keystrokes, but I'd rather keep thinking about the problem and not think about counting the number of lines I have to jump or like, I just, no, no, it's I, not that I, hard I, to press I, up. I, I, yeah, I don't do the relative giant line jumping, but no, I, I agree. And I don't, um, I actually don't use J and K. I use arrow keys when I'm just like moving around. I know that's like sacrilege in Vim. But I I much more often use like search or like Vim was saying, go to a matching brace or I also use um shift, I guess left bracket, right bracket above the enter key. I use that a lot to jump between uh white space lines. So like a lot of people have like nervous ticks when they're an editor of like just jumping around code while they're thinking. And that's my nervous tick is uh flying in between white space. Blank lines. So, Justin, what's your favorite Vim trick? You know, just last night, late, I finished uh, tags for my um, Today I Learned blog thing. Uh, so I was just Today I Learned blog thing? You have a Today I Learned blog thing? Yeah. T-I-L. T-I-L. Uh, but I thought you didn't blog. Well, no. So so this was the joke is, like, I'm not a writer. So the most I can do as far as publishing is, like, taking a trick that I learned and putting it in text form and then put, uh, publishing it. Like I don't, I don't really write anything long form, but I do enjoy writing, like saving tricks down and tips and tricks, um, which I guess is technically writing. So yeah, I have a bunch of things in here that I learned, but I haven't updated it in a very long time. But last night I added one that I learned yesterday. Um, the person I was pairing with this past week, uh, his name is Dave Mox. He works for PromptWorks. And he taught me that if you do G semicolon, it goes to the last thing you were just editing in the current file. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And then somebody on Twitter uh, from Philly, Nick, Nick Canzanari, uh, he said Control-O was also good. So I was playing that, that this morning. And Control-O actually, if you do uh, in the Vim command section, colon, uh, jump, jumps, 
it lists all the files and locations that you've been in. And if you do control O, it just kind of like flies backward through your history and shows like where you were looking at different files in different places. So that was pretty cool too. I'm going to add one for that. But yeah, if you go to til.justincampbell.me, there's a, a set of tags and you can click Vim and see all my Vim articles. And all I'm gonna, names. Now, that, now that I have tagging back, uh, or now, now that I've switched over to middleman and I have tags, I'm going to start uh, adding to this a lot more. I have a large uh, text file in my, in my notes folder with a lot of things that I've learned over the past year that I haven't added yet, but I'm going to start adding them again. Uh, I also, another trick I really like is uh, only, uh, colon only, or you can do uh, everything in Vim related to Windows is control W. So if you do control W O, it will just take the thing that you're currently in and close everything else and make the thing that you're in full screen. So I find that sometimes I'm opening like five or six splits at a time and I, I don't care about any of the ones that I have op- open or I just kind of want to reset my my workspace. I will do control W O and then it closes everything else and makes the thing I'm working on right now full screen. And that's Justin's Vim trick of the week. So one of mine, I was just trying out to make sure I remembered it. It was another, it was an explanation of that thing that you keep accidentally doing, but it's actually useful. When you end up, if you do Q colon instead of colon Q, it gives you your history of commands. That's actually what that is. And so then you can go in your command history and redo a pass command or things like that. Q colon? That's, that's the way that people get into it. I'm trying to remember. Oh, also another thing was that uh, help and then whatever you want. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty nice. So, and so, it also autocompletes, which is nice too. Yes, and so that was actually a surprising uh, thing of you know, and it's. I also really appreciate that the constructor used it constantly. So especially if he would do it literally if anyone asked a question, but like, what does that thing do? Uh, he would, you know, be like, let's find out and. <laughs> Uh, did and would do help whatever that was. Okay, so here's yeah. So because I, I use help to look at. So from normal mode, if you use Q colon Q slash or Q question mark, it starts an e, an X command line or search string uh, to see your command line history. Hmm. So I think it's you know how since Vim maps generally to vaguely to some sort of words, I think I would remember that by query command or query search. So query command would be Q colon, and query search is Q slash. I guess I can do one. Pam barked an idea that I do. Uh, so I often hit colon when I want to quit, colon, and I keep my finger on shift and hit Q. So I always type colon capital Q, which is not a command, but then I, I started aliasing those things to what they're supposed to be. Oh, yeah. And what's the there's a the keyword for aliasing? Well, it's like it's, CA brev or C a brev, or you can use CA. Oh, that's not, that's not what I... Oh, oh, oh see, it, it's probably... Uh, no, I don't think that maps it. I, I, we used a no map, something like that. Okay. It was... I have it in my notes. But it well, was... Well, that's the map it's a, it's a safe, Yeah, to map keys. I'm just aliasing. Is that not what you meant? I'm aliasing a key to do a command, to, which I guess is kind of the same thing. And then I guess another tidbit that I learned last week. Um, Justin and I were debugging somebody's color scheme because they're using the company's uh, dot .files. And the company has a plugin .vim that loads their Vim settings and they set a color scheme. And then they want you to set your own color scheme in the vimrc.local. 
But vimrc files are loaded before plugin files. So anything you put in plugin, anything you put in your vimrc, that plugin overwrites, plugin will always load and get preference. So don't store overwritable settings in your plugin file, guys and girls. So I use a fugitive.vim, which is a Git plugin. And I actually don't use it for Git commits or anything like that. Uh, but one nice feature is you can do a Git log and you could actually like pull up in a split. So I have it bound to capital K in normal mode. So I can hit capital K and a split opens up uh, with whatever's in the Git head. And then I could use my arrow keys. And this is why I can't pair with Justin because my arrow keys do not do movement. They do, <laughs> they do other weird things. But I can use my arrow keys to like go back and forth in time and view the changes to the file. And sometimes it's nice to be able to just arrow back really quickly. And Vim's very quick at this uh, to just look at, at the file, like change shape over time. So are you logging the file or are you logging the history the, of the repo? Um, so it's, it's whatever file you're in. So okay. my, uh, it's basically just opens, I think if you do like colon G log in uh, Fugitive, it pulls up your your quick fix window will be the git log. And then if you navigate through the quick fix window, you'll go to that version of the file. I'll have to try that. I love Fugitive, basically for like viewing what has changed or like status and doing quick commits. It's very, or like inspecting. Um, so I had the problem for a long time of, it's not really a problem, but when I add new files, I want to see what I'm adding or changing. Um, I'm not changing, just adding. And with Fugitive, I'll just open up the status window. And if you, uh, I guess, press enter on the file, it'll open it up and you can look at it and before you commit it. But I think there's a version of git add.p that, or dash p, will do unchanged files or untracked files. So it's not that big of a problem. Do you guys want to do regular picks? They don't have to be Vim trick related. Not, they can be, but I think so it's, I, uh, picks I have I have my picks ready. My first pick is Overtone. Oh, snap. You like Overtone? I've not tried. I've seen someone play with it and go crazy about it. Yeah, I saw a, a performance of it, and it was very, very cool. Um, but then I have the the following thing that is... So Overtone is a collaborative music deal in Clojure on top of SuperCollider. Um, and so... Since it's, based, since it's just on top of SuperCollider, I was like, oh, there has to be that same thing in JavaScript. And of course there is, because if there's anything, it will be in JavaScript as well. So there's also SuperCollider.js or Flocking.js or any number of things. But so I, do you all ever, this is probably just me, do you ever say something like that you think is really smart and you're like, someone should quote me on that? And so... <laughs> so so I said something at Strange Loop where I was talking about something not overtone but this is true for overtone is that any given thing you can just wait and it will eventually come to JavaScript it's like New York if you wait so everything will eventually be there so I think I think what I exactly said was JavaScript is like New York you can if you there's anything cool anywhere else you can just wait a little while and it'll eventually be there so that is true that SuperCollider stuff is in JavaScript, Clojure is in JavaScript, everything's in JavaScript. Justin, do you have a pick? Yeah, I'm going to pick uh, Middleman. Mm, we haven't uh, picked that yet? 
I don't know. Maybe we have. I'm picking again. You can do that. Because uh, it's so awesome. It's pretty great. Um, I really like working with it. Um, for making a blog or other thing, it's nice having a static site generator because if you output HTML, then everything works. <laughs> what you see is what you get. Like there's no runtime errors. Uh, so it's super confident uh, publishing. And then also uh, there's a lot of nice plugins for it. So to add Google Analytics, I just add middleman uh, dash Google Analytics to my gem file. And then I put one line in my view and uh, set my tracking ID and everything works. Uh, same thing with like a sitemap. I just wanted to add a sitemap. So I added middleman sitemap and I just enabled it. And then I got a sitemap. So it's pretty great. Try it out. All right. So I did no programming uh, over the weekend. I cleaned my apartment. And when I cook, I touch my cabinets apparently, and they get really they get this greasy residue on them. Uh, I couldn't figure out how to take it off. Uh, Windex or anything countertop cleaners didn't work. And I found this soap called Murphy Oil Soap, and it works like a charm. So if you have grease on your cabinets and there wood, use Murphy Oil Soap. Second pick is in Nora Liberties. There's a jerk chicken man. He's usually at Second and Laurel <laughs> or the, the Piazza. If you're ever in Philly, find this man. It is amazing. So all our listeners in Europe, Northern Liberties, Jerk Chicken, they can come, come to Philly. Couch surf on my in my apartment, and we can go get some jerk chicken. That's an open invitation to all our listeners <laughs> to go get some. I have to pre-approve chicken. Um, and then my music pick is a song called Habits by Tovlo. I, I guess that's how you say that. The, I'll put that in um, This Is My Jam. And those are my picks. So I've never done a music pick. And uh, this week, I think I will. Because I've been listening to them again all week. And that's the World Inferno Friendship Society. They're kind of hard to describe. I think the closest genre is like circus punk. So I'll put a link to a Spotify playlist in the show notes. Just a reminder, next week is Book Club. We'll have on Corey Haynes uh, talking about understanding the four rules of simple design. And uh, leave us feedback at Turing Cool on Twitter. Go to our website, Turing.cool. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Bye. See ya.